This summer, big box retailers are seeking a massive big government handout from Congress paid for by consumers. Mega retailers are trying to trick Congress into enacting harmful credit card routing legislation, falsely claiming that it will help small businesses. In reality, this big box bill would transfer billions from consumers to retailers while eliminating popular credit card rewards programs, weakening cybersecurity protections, and reducing access to credit. So tell Congress to stop this big box bait and switch and oppose credit card routing legislation. Visit Stop the Big Box Bait and Switch to learn more. The 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds-on favorites, if you look at the polling, still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now, and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump? And, and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Well, welcome to a special episode of the Ruthless Variety program. Fellas, this is a very big week for us. Yeah. Lots happening in the news, lots happening with the program. Yeah. I mean, it just feels like we've got a nice little rhythm going. You well, know? well, it's always exciting to spend time with our audience. And I think the more that we do that, the happier they are, the happier we are. That's right. That's right. Very well said, John. <laughs> I've always said that you've been thoughtful <laughs> like that. It's like they're the only thing that really matters here. That's exactly right. Free hat for you. Thank you. Uh, all right. So, we look, this is a big show. Obviously, we've got to cover the big news, which is Trump... Uh, saying on truth that he has received a letter from the Department of Justice saying that he, in fact, is a target of a new potential indictment, this one dealing with January 6th. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll cover that. Uh, and we also, we got a very, very important guest today. That's right. Uh, this is going to be former Vice President Mike Pence mm. comes to us with our special presidential series that uh, is helpfully sponsored by our good friends in the natural gas and oil industry or at API. Uh, I think that this is a great interview. You get a nice texture for him, his thought process, why he's running uh, in a way that you're not going to get anywhere else, frankly. Yeah. It's as relaxed as you can get somebody, right? I mean, he is he's at home with us uh, he had fun. I think we had talked about some important stuff. You could tell where he wanted to go, where he didn't want to go. Anyway, I found it fascinating. Yeah, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a great interview. And specifically, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it, but like there was one one discussion that we got to that was just so genuine and heartfelt. Uh, I mean, and it's a very important discussion and topic that hasn't gotten the coverage I think deserves. Yep. But it should be a big part of this election. A big part indeed. Uh, I would be remiss if I also didn't mention that we're, are we still open for business on tickets in Iowa or have we closed that down? Well, we're going to have to close it down pretty soon. So this really is like last call. This is last call. It's last call. Last call. RuthlessIowa.com. Get your tickets. We're in Des Moines, August 10th, 7 p.m. local time. It's going to be an amazing, amazing live event. Does it kick off the Iowa State Fair? It's a big deal. It's totally. huge. Totally. And we're so excited about it. Couldn't couldn't be more excited. Love for you to join us uh, there. And of course, we'll have some YouTube specials and things on our YouTube channel. We'll sing, we'll dance, we'll entertain. We'll probably eat some stuff too. Probably eat some stuff. Yeah, I got to pack the Tums. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should pack some of the, what are those, the liquid IVs? 
Yeah, yeah. I feel like maybe those would be a good idea for mm. you. On the yeah, well, you know, it's going to be hot. You got to stay hydrated. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, so let's start. Uh, the New York Times reports that Trump faces possible indictment in Capital and Tack investigation. Mm. Former president, this is the New York Times, uh, said he received a target letter in connection with a criminal investigation into the events leading up to the storming of the Capitol. It is a sign he could be indicted again by the special counsel. Uh, the special counsel, as you recall, is Jack Smith. Uh, he was the one that led the investigation into the classified documents, which he was ultimately indicted for. And we saw that full indictment. And, you know, people can take that for what it is. We've covered that ad nauseum. This one, we have actually no sense mm-hmm. of what this is pertaining to, what the specific charges are. Tons of speculation over the last six months that this was an incredibly sort of important investigation that DOJ, not only DOJ was working on, but Georgia, the mm-hmm. state of Georgia as yeah. well. I don't know if this has anything to do with, I mean, people have wildly speculated of, of its fundraising claims, of its, I don't know. And I don't think anybody knows, right? I mean, we do know they've been looking into it for a long time, but the substance of which, I mean, you can make it up, but you have no clue. Yeah. Well, also the volume for those scoring at home, this is his third. This would be the third indictment, right? Yeah. And, and potentially not the final indictment. And so you you start asking yourself the question, do these things actually add up in a way that matter to Trump voters who are you're, that his opponents are able to peel away? Is mm-hmm. it, is it, gonna, is it actually going to make a difference? Because so just, far it's done the exact opposite. Yeah. It's just hardened I, I, that yeah. 30% right in is, Trump's I, pocket. I feel like at this point it's become just such a like another day, another indictment that like I don't think it really moves the needle much in any direction anymore at this point. You know, I don't it know. It certainly doesn't with a impact. primary electorate. You're no question. Yeah, I mean, sure. if anything... The first one moved it considerably to his direction. Mm-hmm. Second one didn't seem to have much of a bearing one way or another. We'll see ultimately in time whether this has any sort of water and getting I think too heavy type thing. I think that's key is like Alvin Bragg having that completely you know ridiculous one to kick this off really colored a lot of folks' opinion of like totally. what this whole process is. They're like, okay, so this is just some r- ridiculous you know like BS kind yeah. of charges. Then every subsequent one is tainted with that of like, okay, well, they're clearly out to get Trump, you know? Totally. Well, and, and then after, we've talked about it previously on the show, but after all the years of Russia, 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 mm-hmm. as Trump likes to call it, yeah, uh, you know, you've inoculated Donald Trump against any criticism because the media was wrong for five years, yep. you know? And so I, 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 I mean, I don't blame the electorate for not looking into the nuance of all these charges and reading the indictments and the evidence or whatever, because like, They've been lied to for so long. Totally. So I'm not surprised by it. But if you're not Donald Trump and you're running against him, I think you have to make an effort to make a case that this stuff is both a distraction and dangerous to our ability to win a general election. Well, speaking of running against him and making a case, Vivek Ramaswamy came out with a response to the indict potential indictment. Did you guys see what he said? He said that the pending Jan 6 indictment of Trump is arguably the most dangerous of all to our constitutional republic. <laughs> Which, as some people point out, is quite different from what he said at the time on January 6th. He was very, very critical of President Trump at the time on January 6th, almost in a way more critical than most most other people who were in Trump's corner at the time. Fascinating. So very interesting to see how these guys sort of hedge when it comes to head-to-head battle. Michael was pointing out what uh, what Ronnie D was saying in response 
Um, and he he sort of he sort of did 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 both, right? Or he kind of did he kind of gave him a little and took a little away. Yeah, I mean, look, I think um, what he was trying to do was both criticize Donald Trump the day of on January sixth for his conduct, but then also talk about the weaponization of the DOJ and sort of politicizing a legal process, right? And so what he said here is Trump's actions were wrong on January 6th. I think it was shown how he was in the White House and didn't do anything while things were going on. He should have come out more forcefully, of course, is what he said. But to try to criminalize that, that's a a different issue entirely. And I think that we want to be in a situation where you don't have one side just constantly trying to put the other side in jail. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of trying to have his cake and eat it too a little bit, but it is it is nuanced and interesting there. It is interesting, particularly because of all the disclosures, some of the the Fox lawsuit stuff, some of the stuff that came out during the Jan Six Commission, where there was a pretty. I mean, the sentiment that he just expressed was pretty widespread within the White House itself. Well, yeah, I mean that's the thing I love about this because there's a lot of Trump folks out there now who want to try to dunk on DeSantis like oh he's criticizing Trump on January 6th and it's like hey all of you did that like all of them did all of them said Trump needs to get out there and do more he needs to stop this violence yada 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 and now they've sort of like had amnesia again here over the last couple of years and now they want to criticize DeSantis for making this statement which I just think is very very funny I mean you look at Don Jr's text messages to Mark Meadows it came out in the January 6th committee he was texting Mark Meadows saying the president needs to do more. That one video well, wasn't it was, enough. It, it was universal. There, yeah. there was literally zero people in the camp of the president doesn't need to do anything. You know what? He's doing great. <laughs> I mean, he's literally nobody. Nobody said that. Right. Um, you know, perhaps an oath keeper or two. Right. But certainly not anybody that was but, in that way. But House does that rise to the level of legal culpability? Well, I see, but we here's the thing. We don't know. And this is a paragraph we picked out of the New York Times to just give you a sense of what kind of things they could be looking Prosecutors have been asking witnesses about former president's state of mind as well as efforts to fundraise off his false claims of widespread voter fraud and whether he knew he lost. Uh, they have also been scrutinizing efforts to put together slates of so-called electors to cast ballots in support of Mr. Trump. Uh, when the electoral college tallies were certified. Heard a lot about that. Here's the deal. One, this is sort of unprecedented and that there hasn't been slates of electors that have been contemplated to just go up against somebody who had obtained a, a, a winning margin of victory in certain states. And so I don't know how you end up prosecuting all that. I imagine this is why the indictment is going to be instructive here because we could speculate, but I don't know. I mean, is that criminal? I don't know. I don't know. Are I there mean, statutes that deal with that? Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. know. Also, it, there is a little bit of irony to all of this because I certainly remember after the election in 2016, Lawrence Tribe, you know, the, the professor, <laughs> and a lot of these dipshits on the left were trying to remember, mobilize a campaign for faithless electors to vote against Donald Trump, even yes. though he had won the presidency in the Electoral College. Yeah, is old Larry Tribe going yeah. to the brig now? Yeah. That's a hell of a president for a guy like right. that, huh? Yeah. No, he's not going to the brig. Babs Boxer. Remember, so, <laughs> she did the old, she did the uh, 05 deal against yeah. Bush. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, I mean, like, look, I think it, it's obviously unprecedented to, to sort of criminalize political speech and actions, yes. right? And so, like, that's sort of the dangerous and unprecedented ground we're on. But, like, what I constantly go back to in all this stuff, and I don't think I'm alone in this. In fact, in talking to a lot of Republican voters, 
just so fucking tired. We're just we're tired and we'd like to win. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of the fucking drama, you know, yeah. waiting on the for the other shoe to drop and another indictment, all this stuff. And I get it. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of things that have been unfair to Donald Trump. We've seen them firsthand. Yeah. But it's like we got a lot of problems in this country. Well, this this is a this is a not a lose and it's okay type situation. No, it's really, really I mean, you've not. You've got Joe Biden in the White House actively destroying. Can I country. just read can I just read Nikki Haley's okay. statement? Because like I, I loved this because this is like sort of where my head's at in all this. It's gonna keep going. The rest of this primary election in reference to Trump is gonna be about lawsuits, it's gonna be about legal fees, it's gonna be about judges, it's gonna be about it's going to continue to be a further and further distraction. We can't keep dealing with all this drama. We can't keep dealing with the negativity. Yeah, it's tough. I'm, and I think she's 100% right cuz it's like it's like you were saying earlier, it's like it hasn't hurt him in the primary, but you know his his unfave is as high as it's it's been since January 6, 2021. Yeah. Donald yeah. Trump. The the counterpoint I would give to all of this is that I think that's that's the whole point like if if the left and the media knows the same way that they did with the Russia thing that if we just keep pushing and grind it out, we can get him. You know, and they'll throw in the towel. And then whichever Republican, if another Republican gets a nomination, we're going to do the same thing to him. You well, know, yeah. I mean, look, I, I, don't, I don't doubt they'll try. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, I think it's a I think it's a valid argument in many ways. The question is whether you have Republican candidates who are willing to give them the opportunity to do so. Uh, you know, some look, we used to complain all the time that. You know, if you can call Mitt Romney a misogynist mm -hmm. and and Mitt, and Mitt Romney some Sandy. sort of like a right wing lunatic. If I mean, you could do they, all that. They call Clarence Thomas a, a white supremacist. There's like no like logic or reason involved in their message. And they have the entire media pushing the same thing, the same agenda. And no the, question. And the way there was no basis of fact for Russia, they just created a smear machine. So I, I mean, like, look, I don't disagree. And I think every Republican who's running for president is be prepared to be smeared just the exact same ways. But I also think like, especially for our younger viewers, you, you, you got to remember that politics didn't start with Donald Trump. You know, I yeah. mean, like when George Bush was president, they tried to impeach him every other day and twice on Sunday. Yes. You know? Yeah. I mean, you guys can probably speak to that more than I can because. Yeah, I was there. You know, I mean, you're right. That is the way that they've handled every Republican president. It's just that's the matter. Of course, that's what happens. All that being said, We've never given an opportunity like the former president has given them with actual teeth, right? I mean, I would argue that that New York situation is a perfect example of what you're talking about. Clearly a political prosecution. If there is a, any sort of crime there at all, it's certainly not something you would bring against a former president of the United States. Like, it's just unbelievable that we're even having to discuss it. When you start dealing with classified documents, you're starting dealing with precedents for future administrations and things, and like there's some serious stuff there. And then all of a sudden you get into this and we'll find out what it is. But when does that water get too heavy? Mm -hmm. Like at what point for a Republican voter as committed to Donald Trump as you are, do you get to a point where you're like, well, I, this is guaranteeing me a loss in a general election? Now, I don't think we're there yet. And some polls still suggest that, that Donald Trump's got a lead over Joe Biden, mostly because of the absolute anemia of Joe, Joe Biden's poll numbers. But he's clearly, with the center of the electorate, toxic. Mm -hmm. And you said his, his disapproval numbers are higher today than they've ever been in, since, his, in his public life. Since, since uh, January 6th, yeah. So, again, as Smug rightly points out, 
this has up to this point made him stronger with a primary electorate, unquestionably. It has also unquestionably made him weaker with a center right, center left part of the electorate, the center right of which you need to win a, a general election nationally in this country. Also, I think what it would take for this to actually hurt Trump among primary voters is one of the people also running for the nomination digging in, doing something about it, digging you know, in, you know, like it, it if, can't just be Chris. If at that first debate, you know, someone doesn't give a compelling reason of like, here's why you should support me instead of Donald Trump, whether it's over this issue or something else. Like it feels like they haven't really tried to, I mean, Christie's very clearly gone on the offense. Yeah. I mean, and, he's and, just taking a baseball bat out, which yeah. is what Chris does. He promised on the show that he was going to do that. And that's what he's done. I think the point that the, the statement that Nikki Haley made that you just read is closer to that spot yeah, where, where there are reasonable. I mean, look, I, I don't I fully anticipate 30 percent of the Republican electorate is ride or die mm-hmm. with Donald Trump. Like, I, I, mm-hmm. I don't think they're going anywhere. But but Haley is kind of hitting him where he's weakest. It's raising questions about his ability to win a general. Yes. The entire statement is not it's not taking the bait on. Was he right or wrong on Jan 6 mm-hmm. or should he be in jail for what he did or should he be indicted again? It is entirely focused on this guy is a, is a distraction and if we want to God win. bless him. I served in his administration. Tip your cap. We got to go on without you. I mean, that's it's like canteen and pistol type territory, right? Because, like, well, because just leave him behind. Because any pollster will tell you, and I think Donald Trump's, <laughs> I think I think Donald Trump's pollster, you know, with a maybe a, a couple of pops in him would would probably admit it as well. But there is palpable fatigue in the electorate about just like distractions. Like yeah. there, there really is. So she's tapping into something. Here. The question, though, that I've always had is, do you get rewarded? Because at this point, not only do you not get rewarded, he's ended more careers of Republican politicians than he created. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's ended an enormous amount of, of political careers of people who have decided I'm going to take him on on this. Mm-hmm. And the base of the Republican Party comes along with him and just sort of pushes out any sort of dissenting totally. view. And so. Yes, that's the right argument, and I think that's a winning argument. The question is whether or not Nikki Haley has any residual support that comes along with that. And so far, there hasn't been evidence of it. I think that this thing's going to get, we've talked about this a lot, I think this thing's going to get a lot more dynamic than people think. This is not a static primary where everybody's monolithic in their thinking. When you're adding inputs that Mm -hmm. have never been added to Mm -hmm. the context of a primary election in this country, you're going to get some different things coming out of it. I don't know. We got debates. We got all kinds of things, but I think that all contributes. We also have a brand new poll out of New Hampshire. Oh, yeah. What do we got fresh, here? Fresh evidence of this being a dynamic electorate. You have Trump. This is this is a UNH poll, uh, 898 uh likely Republican voters. That's a big sample. Mm-hmm. In New Hampshire, that's a big, really big sample. Trump 37, DeSantis 23. Oh, interesting. So, so it's up close to a 14-point gap. Wasn't that like 30 points? I think that's like five off Trump. Um, yeah, five, DeSantis yeah. ticking up one yeah. or two. Okay. It's it's not that substantial, but it is. But you've got Tim Scott ticking up substantially, yeah. Christie ticking up. So Scott's coming at eight, Christie at six, Burgum 
Six. Oh, Bergen, 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 six. Mentum, I but told y'all. Bergmentum. Those those gift cards must have just dro- hit the mailbox yesterday. Hey man, like nineteen <laughs> bucks is more than most people have given uh, candidate or their their voters. Yeah, but this is a very different picture than we've seen in other states where Trump has this gigantic, seemingly insurmountable lead. Yeah, it's very mountable. It's a <laughs> mountable lead. It's a mountable lead. Well, again, I guess we're going to have to, time will tell on all of that. And we'll see. I mean, it, an indictment, when you get a letter, typically that doesn't mean like we've settled on the indictment. Like there's still a process that goes, my understanding is that there's a process that, that goes, remember he got a letter on the on the previous indictment months ago. Yeah. And then he announced that the letter turned into a... I wonder if at at this point, like, Mar-a-Lago's got, like, this entry for, like, deliveries, subpoenas, (laughs) this one, (laughs) indictments. Just drive around, no long-term parking, just drop off the subpoena. One dude's job is just to sit there with a little top hat. Donald Trump Trump knows one thing, and he knows when he's the center of attention and he's the vacuum sucking up all of the media, it actually benefits him. Yeah. And so... Regardless of whether this actually becomes charges or not or whatever, him being the topic of conversation, at least in, you know, in, in how his, his opponents respond to it, um, you know, force him to the middle, which he benefits from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It would be a hell of a job to be the guy in the top hat outside the Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> Hello, Jack. It's like you're here for valet parking. You think, you know, what do you have for me today? You think he has like a velvet pillow? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, place it here. <laughs> Sir, please sign first initial, last name. (laughs) Go, boy. Talk about a job I wouldn't want. Yikes. All right. You guys want some animal news? Always. So we talked a little bit about that. Like you mentioned when we were talking about the beaver, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, we got important context from Governor Kemp, which was a sensational interview. I'm so glad he was here yesterday. Um, That the beaver came from Georgia. And, and they had found the beaver, and it was a big, rabid, like 30-something. 60 no, pounder. 60, 60, 60 pounder. Yeah, he beaver. did the correction. Like, I think yeah. that well, yeah. the he article said 40. we said it was 40, but yeah. it was actually 60. 60-pound 60 beaver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. It's like a bigger than a dog. That's a big beaver. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so it, all in the family, the otter, yeah. which I think is a relative to the, the beaver. Yeah, it's the same thing. They're these, like, dual critters. Like, they attack by land and sea. You know? <laughs> So they're like twice they're the, the menace. They're like the army and the navy. Because like, there... like, well, and they're probably some loose relation to the mink. Because <laughs> because you got like uh, you know these these killer whales. They only they can only get you by water. You know these guys yeah. are if they could Amphibious. fly, they'd have the triad. So that's yeah. the <laughs> So they have been uh, wildlife officials search for a wayward sea otter harassing surfers and kayakers off the California coast. This is according to the AP. Associated Press put pen to paper on this mm-hmm. bad boy. Uh, wildlife officials were trying to capture the wayward sea otter Thursday uh, that had been resting surfboards away from surfers and aggressively approaching kayakers off the coast of Santa Cruz, California. Uh, the five-year-old female otter has shown aggression towards people uh, for several weeks, and it poses a public safety threat. Well, we could have told you that. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service said in a statement, video and photographs shared on social media show the marine mammal Getting on top of different surfboards, <laughs> at least one occasion biting and tearing chunks off the board <laughs> and aggressively approaching surfers. Um, so they got this team of wildlife experts. They're checking it out. And this guy says, uh, well, there have been no confirmed reports of injury due to the highly unusual behavior of this otter. Kayakers, surfers and other recreation uh, in the area 
should not approach the otter or encourage otter interactions. Yeah. I have never encouraged an otter interaction in my life. <laughs> I didn't know that's something somebody had to tell me. They're, they're, they're like a they're like a, a sleeker beaver. It's like a more like it's kind of like a, a seal with legs, you mm. know. Uh, but they're smaller. And this guy just is a complete wasted opportunity from from this guy who had a quote and he said like talking about no otter interactions. He's like, you otter think twice. Like, no, it was no. laid out. Yeah. Why did this guy not drop that? You know, you if think this, some like otter scientist would be ready I, at any if time. If this was the New York Post, that would have been in the headline. 100%. <laughs> well, here's the thing that caught my attention. They named it Sea Otter 841. Hmm. So what I'd like to know, are what happened to Sea Otters 0 through <laughs> 840? Uh, have they just been hiding this information from us? <laughs> yeah. Like there are 840 otters out there that have attacked well, people just, like just the, trying to surf. Also, this further, it says it was born in captivity and released into the wild so in June 2020. Go. So this thing, who knows? It might be like a MK Ultra kind of like a situation where the government did something and now the thing <laughs> no, it, ham. It's like, it's like a Jason Bourne <laughs> yeah. of otters. Yeah. That is, no, seriously. I mean, I mean, I feel radicalized. It's going after surfers. So maybe they just like taught it to hate surfers to see if the program works. It's like it was at the Guantanamo of otters. 100%. Mm-hmm. And then it got let go. Like Clockwork back. Orange, they have it watched like yeah. surfer videos of surfers being bad. <laughs> the CIA was developing them to kill the next generation of Kennedys. <laughs> <laughs> we know Robert Kennedy surfed. <laughs> that is so good. That is so good. It would be wow. so much funnier if it wasn't like an honest part of our discourse. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Come into the next town hall near you. You can get a thousand people in an auditorium to bobblehead along with that one. Uh, but you know what? It's not, they're not alone. And before no. I turn to our next story, I just want to also fly thank you to the minions for constantly keeping us always, updated. Always, it's always appreciated. Enemies. We check the account, all the replies to the Ruthless account on Twitter of like, more animal attacks. Mm. People are staying on top of this. It's great. You got to be vigilant. We have the best clip service in politics. Oh, it's 100%. just amazing, yeah. particularly on animal news. Right. But as you know, and I think we flagged this very early on, and then again, the Shamu and everything else came along with it, the water is a particularly mm. dangerous place right mm. now. Mm. It sure is. And and actually, I'd say, I'd say it's more than a clip service. They're going the next step. So they sent around a story and images and basically a, a target package <laughs> of... <laughs> <laughs> of these giant squid that are appearing really? all of a sudden, emerging on the near the surface around Japan. Hmm. And one of the things that the minions are suggesting is that we ally ourselves with the giant squid to go after the whales. Wow. And I think that's the sort of outside-of-the-box thinking so, that the minions bring to the program. I think you find the moderate like octopus on the ground <laughs> yeah. and you train them. them. Yeah. Well, you got to fight them over there so we don't have to fight them over here. That's that, right. That makes sense. It's the whole, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the moderates. We arm the moderates. Arm and train them. Uh, arm the moderate squid. Yeah. But like dolphins are now going after people in Japan. Man, what is going on? You know what's going on. <laughs> you, know, you know good yeah. well what's going yeah. on. The animal kingdom is rising up. PETA has enabled them. Yeah. Nobody cares about humans. And They've what, been waging war on us. It's just now time for us to wage war back on you know, this. It's reminds exactly me. right. Look at this other cute video of an animal. This is cleansing my timeline. <laughs> cute video of an animal on Twitter. While it sharpens its blade. Exactly. <laughs> Don't turn your back for a second. They would eat you if they had the chance. Yeah, they would. Well, yeah. it's happening all over the place. So keep your head on a swivel. I don't know if you can actually hunt otters. 
I don't know. That's I mean, a good you, question. I you should be you able can. to hunt mink because they're in jackets. Yeah. Is there otter jackets? I don't think so. <laughs> Beaver fur was a thing. Is that still? Remember, you could trade pelts yeah. back in the day, and w- there'd be hats and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could. I don't know. Let's look into that. If minions, if you have any, if anybody has any ideas on what we can do to these things to stay on offense. And I, I, uh, I remember we had gotten this sent to us and didn't cover this, but did you guys hear about the cruise ship? No. Oh yeah. Situation. So so there so there's a cruise ship. Yeah, this is unbelievable. This is awesome. So it says uh, this happened in where in Europe? Faroe Islands. Now the Faroe in, in Islands. The, in the Faroe yeah. Islands, and uh, this cruise ship pulls up, and the locals were doing the right thing. They were slaughtering a pilot whale, right? <laughs> slaughtering just, hundreds just, of pilots. Let's just be clear. This is a cultural display. This has been a part of their society for generations, and yeah. now all of a sudden it doesn't fit mention, with TikTok culture. Not to mention the right thing to do. Here. It is. I mean, that's how they feed themselves. Does anyone have a story loud. about killer whales attacking Wait, Faroe eating, Islands people? Eating whales? <laughs> like, the message has gone out. Killer whales do not. They don't fuck with the Faroe Islands. The Faroe <laughs> are off limits. <laughs> they know. There's only one way to send a message, and you literally fill the ocean with blood. The Faroe are like the Mossad. Yeah. Right? You just don't rattle that cage unless you have You don't to. mess with it. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good point, but it brings us to our next story. Uh, a woman is attacked... Uh, by four dingoes. Yeah. Can someone describe to me what the fuck a dingo is? Is a dingo sort of like a junior coyote? It's it's, it's, it's like, more like a wild dog. It's it's a wild dog, and they look kind of like a you know those Shiba Inus. Hmm. Wait, so it, it's a wild dog, but it's not like it's not like a like a mutt or like a. I mean, it's just they all have the same. They look the same. Yeah, it's it, yeah. They're they're kind of like yeah, they're a, not like domesticated. Or yeah, anything. It, it's, it's essentially but, just like a crazy ass dog. But they're also they're also. <laughs> They're also not on the menu at Outback Steakhouse. (laughs) Which was a mistake because now the dingoes, uh, a woman has been flown to the hospital. This is according to ABC.net. A woman has been, hold on, hold on. I'm just thinking you go to Outback and ask for the Obama special and they'll bring you a dog. (laughs) Folks, he said it in his autobiography, he's eating a dog. I'm not making this up. Seared dingo. <laughs> I mean, when people talk about eating dingoes, yeah. it had a wildly different connotation in yeah. this country than it does in Australia. No rules, just right. <laughs> <laughs> You've never tasted a dingo like this one. Anyway, uh, so do you notice this? That we've got in this document, you know how I am about McDaniel with his citations. This is abc.net? Yeah. Mm. Dot .au. I so was, is it not ABC? No, I wonder this, if this is this like- This is the Australian. Is it the Australian yeah. ABC? Yep. Is that see. what it means? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly American what it Broadcasting means. Company? I don't, I don't think no, it I is. No, I think it's maybe Australian Broadcasting yeah. Company. Oh, so but they were late on the internet. And yeah. So they got so the they, .net They stuff. didn't secure a domain. See, so they didn't have somebody like me. They didn't. They didn't. Huge mistake. It yeah. just goes to show that's why, that's why there's crazy shit that goes around down there. They're late yeah. to the draw on the internet. Yeah. Uh, anyway, a woman has been flown to the hospital after being attacked by four dingoes while jogging along the beach. Uh, Queensland Ambulance Service officer in charge, Hervey Bay Station Station. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Of, of Harvey Bay. That's his. Of Her- he's in charge of Harvey okay. Bay. <laughs> what a title. I thought that was his name for a second. Uh, Matthew Steer is his name. Uh, he said the 23 year old woman ran into the water and two dingoes followed her. Wow. At about 9 a.m. <laughs> so <Monday>. wild. <laughs> Another dual critter. Like, <laughs> these are a menace. <laughs> this dingo is much different than your other dog. I mean, this is it's amphibious. Yeah. 
I mean, by any means necessary, they're going to go after Like, it. if you were to breed a German Shepherd with a sea otter, you get a dingo, I guess. These are ready to go. Yeah, he said a rescue helicopter had flown to Orchid Beach, the northeast side of the island, to pick her up, uh, and she was flown to Hervey Bay Hospital and treated for bite wounds to her limbs mm. and torso. Mm. That's the thing, Jeez. is if they had to, like, airlift her out, these dingoes were going off. They got her. They were, like, they got her. Yeah. And you would think by now Australia would do something about the dingoes. Like, they were famous for eating people's babies, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you'd always hear what? about... Yeah, this is... Australian people, Wait, this was like... About? There was a crisis for a long time mm-hmm. where dingoes were eating people's babies. Oh, <laughs> it was like It was like a way of life. How do you... Uh, so you, knew, you know no. about yeah, that? Yeah, they've been well, a menace so, for a while. That's the whole thing. So like, he, why doesn't Australia do anything about here's, this? Here's the solution. Like, they come for your firstborn child. I thought child. that was just the same. It's here's like the, dingo Passover. They get your firstborn baby. Oh, jeez. That's the worst thing. They've put up with this. It's crazy. I don't even know. I don't even know where I'm at. Uh, Look, I was going to offer a solution for the dingoes. You put a cabbage patch. You put a cabbage patch doll on a boat. You open up the back of the boat. You usher all the dingoes in. You put the boat out to sea. The captain jumps off. You scuttle the ship. That's or oh, Viking funeral the thing you know they'll be busy trying to kill the baby because that's instinctual for these guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it's clear to me that Australia is soft on dingo. 100%. Because soft dingo, yeah. Huh? Because uh, it says it says here in the article, one of the dingoes involved uh, in the attack had a GPS collar. Oh, quoted it as it is an animal. Another born high, high risk. Another, another born. <laughs> Our job is to mitigate risks through education. Lethal mitigation is a last resort. Wow. And so oh. they knew this dingo was dangerous, and they're like, you know what? We'll just go ahead and put a collar on him. <laughs> Let it just bite this lady. That ought to solve it. <laughs> a decade soft dingo policy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you hate to see that. I think mm. they have medication for that kind of problem these days. <laughs> What what good is the collar if you can't remotely euthanize it? Well, that's the thing. That should be part of the process. Is like, okay, we'll let you back in the wild, but now it's like three strikes are out. That's done. You're out. <laughs> Did you buy the? But before we get to the, because I can't possibly, in good conscience, transfer from soft dingoes to a Mike Pence interview. <laughs> he doesn't deserve that. No, he certainly does. Our not. audience doesn't deserve that. Did you see the bread prices headline the other day mm. that came out? Mm. No. There was like a somehow bread prices have have exceeded inflation by like a million fold, mm-hmm. where it's like this just gigantic bread price hike, and I was like, oh man, where have I heard about that before? And I was like, Mayor Pete, Mayor Pete strikes again, Mayor Pete, and that and that guy, that New York Times editorial board guy that we made so much fun of, yeah. Yeah, he was that right. guy was on it. He was, was he? Right. he called him out on it. He, he called. Knew it. He said he, he fixed knew it. spread prices. <laughs> he worked for a company that fixed spread prices. That's it. And, and, <laughs> Remember that guy? Yeah. 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 The, the thing is, is that like it's hilarious how Mayor Pete is known for one thing, and that's just fucking everything up. Like, <laughs> anytime a train is derailed, they're like Mayor Pete at it again. You know, <laughs> red prices. He's got that on the resume too. <laughs> Flight delayed. Done. That's him. Flat tire on your car. Thanks, Pete. You did it again. <laughs> it does make me think that maybe they set old Pete up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there had been competent management of the Department of Transportation, so it basically hid or masked the fact that there are a lot of liabilities over there. Yeah. yeah. Basically, anytime anybody's on a highway, a freeway, rails are in the air, 
your your political career's on the line. Yeah. Right. Right. And this guy's taking every shot to the face. He was like, I was promised this is just like for me to wait out the Biden administration so I can run again. Yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, well, fuck you with my flight delay, you bastard. Yeah. They're like, no, you actually have a job. <laughs> okay. All right. So I think we've done it. Let's, uh, let's go to the former vice president of the United States, Mike Pence. This episode is fueled by the American Petroleum Institute. No matter your politics, no matter the debate, one thing is certain. America runs on affordable, reliable energy. America's policies must recognize that Americans benefit from making, moving, and improving the energy right here in America. Today, America's oil and natural gas industry supports nearly 11 million jobs and provides American energy to keep this nation strong. Learn how at API.org. So the next installment of the Ruthless Presidential Showcase, fueled by America's oil and natural gas, learning more at API, is the distinguished, good friend of the program and former vice president, Mike Pence. Thank you for coming in, sir. Oh, you bet. Great to be back on Ruthless, guys. Oh, man. So the last time I think- In we... studio. I what know. A yeah. <laughs> what a cool studio. What do you think? Really? I did, you can't even tell it's your garage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, that's that's high praise from you, though, because you got your start in radio. <laughs> I did, I did yeah. actually. Yeah. Was that a pretty good-looking studio that you were uh, in back in the day? No, no, it was it had hay growing out of it. But it was, uh, <laughs> it was a great time, but I'll tell you, I was never as big as Ruthless. No, you guys, I don't you believe guys are that. tearing it up. I it's don't believe that. You great were, to be back on. You were a very successful radio host back in the day. <laughs> I mean, this Well, I was, I was Rush Limbaugh on decaf. You know, I, I mean, I, I was on about 20 stations all across Indiana, came on right after Rush Limbaugh was on and uh, you know it was a great yeah you know what I learned uh, during those years was not so much how to talk as how to listen oh interesting you know you, you get calls from people driving on a tractor or, you know yeah you know sitting in their kitchen or running between rounds at work you and learn what they're concerned about you you do and you also you know it's uh, it's a great education in the wisdom and the uh, goodness and the patriotism of uh, the american people and the great state of indiana as michael likes yep. to tell us yeah I'm a, I'm a hoosier native so yeah you know, there you awesome. go you know what i'm talking about absolutely yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well listen thank you i think the last time that we sat down together was to open uh, a beautiful new headquarters that you had right in, in thank you in dc that was doing an incredible lot of great work and amidst a sunset and all kinds of different things yeah. so you know we're not competing with that, but that was, that, was, that was a pretty good deal. Yeah, great of you guys to be there. It really was. And uh, the work of Advancing American Freedom goes on. I'm proud of our team, proud of the freedom agenda that they minted, working with more than 50 conservatives around the country, people that worked in our administration. And uh, uh, But I've left that behind. You have. Uh, uh, on June 7th, Karen and I traveled to Iowa and announced my intention to seek the Republican nomination for president of the United States. And so... We're off and running. It's um, here in Washington today because I'm going to be at the Christians United for Israel oh, uh, yeah. banquet tonight uh, and addressing that. But then it's off to New Hampshire for most of the rest of the week. That's great. Well, listen, I know you're working hard. We are. And look, let's let's start with the with the obvious here. You're vice president to President Trump. Obviously, you're a student of politics. You're as, as astute as anyone I know in terms of polling and application of polling and you know the ups and downs you know the challenges of trying to run for a nomination with a former president on the ballot with all the name id and the previous commitments that he brings into it with all that and yet you decided 
this was important. You had to do it. Yeah. Give us your rationale. Well, I just think different times call for different leadership. Yeah. I'm, I'm incredibly proud of uh, the Trump-Pence administration's record. I really am. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some people in this primary have taken to criticizing aspects of the record. They have every right to do that. I just, I just don't. I mean, I was always loyal to President Trump. I'm proud of what we did to rebuild our military, to revive our economy, to secure our border, Mm -hmm. to appoint three of the conservatives Mm -hmm. to the Supreme Court of the United States that gave America a new beginning for life uh, and have Mm -hmm. been been part of a new dynamic conservative majority. Uh, And uh, but, you know, at at the end of the day, uh, things didn't end like I hoped they would. Yeah, no Uh, kidding. You know, my uh, my, the loyalty to. the president had to give way to my loyalty to the Constitution of the United States. But we parted ways, but that's not why I'm running. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm running because I really think that uh, both my former running mate and others are, are beginning to lead our party uh, in a direction um, different than what drew me to the Republican Party. You know, I was I was drawn here because I believe America is the leader of the free world, yeah. that uh, we're the arsenal of democracy, that we we defend our freedom by promoting freedom around the world as well. Uh, I believe in fiscal responsibility and, and reform and uh, believe in the sanctity of life. And on each of those issues, whether it's America's role in the world, whether it be fiscal responsibility, whether it even be the right to life, I see my former running mate and others beginning to shy away from. Yeah those core Republican issues. And as my wife and I reflected on it, we just determined that we'd step in this race and, uh, and offer my, uh, my, my lifetime of uh, commitment uh, to the conservative movement, to Republican primary voters. And we're getting a, we're getting a great response. Yeah. Well, look, for those of us who've known you before your vice presidential experience, when you were a governor and a member of Congress, obviously a conservative uh, through and through. In fact, you were sort of a troublemaker back in the day. I was, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I was in... The- I, was, I was battling against uh, big spenders in the Republican Party. Yeah. I was a leader of House conservatives and uh, uh, and a bit of a thorn in the flesh of the Bush administration that you might you remember. Were, I, I do I, recall. <laughs> I do recall. I fought against the Wall Street bailout, it, Medicare is, prescription. Is, is, is it weird to go from that, Mr. Vice President, yeah. to people calling you a rhino? Yeah, I mean, how do you handle that? I, I have I used to remember shot. when Rhino meant you voted like a Democrat. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I probably have pound for pound the most conservative record of anybody in this field. <laughs> right. And right. Uh, but I think that's where, well, look, we got a real healthy debate about the future of the Republican Party. Is it is it attitudinal? Is is that what it is? Or tone? Is it tone? Is it is it? Yeah, I I, I don't know. Some of it is. Look. Um, we're facing a debt crisis in this country, guys. Mm-hmm. You all are a lot younger than me. I'm now a grandfather of three beautiful granddaughters. Actually, the three most beautiful granddaughters <laughs> in ever born <laughs> in the history of the world. Uh, and I, I, I just am not willing uh, to walk by on the other side of the road on a national debt the size of our nation's economy, we, which is about to go from $32 trillion to $150 trillion in 20 mm. years. Yeah. And yet Joe Biden's policy is insolvency. And frankly, uh, the former president's policy is identical. He says, we're not even going to talk about entitlement. Yeah, let, let me ask you about that, because that's the thing that's sort of jarring for me. And I imagine yeah. it was for you, too, because you served in an administration that at its core at least spoke to the issue of fiscal responsibility. Right. And historically, certainly in your tenure, you got one party that just sort of throws out any sort of fiscal responsibility whatsoever. They, right. they don't care. And right. they've made it quite clear they no, don't care. Right. And we've had one party that struggles, but 
at times does the right thing to try to rein in at least the argument to a point where people understand what a problem it might be. You hear the first big argument out of the former president and the governor of Florida about who's going to preserve and protect right. Medicare and Social Security. I'm like, right. well, what party do we go to to actually be concerned about these right. things? Well, this is what I'm talking about. It's, it's um, you know, I, I, I'm not running for president um, to be an echo. I'm, I'm, I'm running for president to give people a choice. I mean, because I, I think a majority of Republican voters want to stay on the path that we've been on in the past 50 years, which been, has included a path of right. fiscal responsibility and reform. And look, under our administration, I'm, I'm proud we rebuild our military after years of budget cuts. I believe uh, that, uh, that the reason you have government is when a crisis like the COVID pandemic strikes, you've got to have the ability to provide resources to families and businesses and institutions to see the country through. But candidly, we didn't do as good a job as we should have mm-hmm. on controlling domestic spending. But all of that's in the past. The, the, the reality is, as you know better than most Americans, that we all know where the problem is in the national government. It's that yeah. 70% of our federal budget today is Social Security and Medicare. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's plenty of room to bring about reforms for Americans under the age of 40. Right. Look, you can say, and nobody here does, but if you have hair the same color as mine, this is irrelevant to you, right? Mm-hmm. You, can, you can literally say to people, look, if you're retired now, yeah, don't worry about it. you can listen, but it doesn't affect you. If you're going to retire in 25 years uh, or less, it doesn't really apply to you either. But if you're under the age of 40, we, we actually think we'd like to bring about some reforms in the system. Uh, that I think would result in you getting a better deal. Yeah, or any deal, yeah. for that matter. Okay, that's a, <laughs> a, most people in your generation don't think you're going to get anything from Social Security, mm-hmm. and I understand that. But the flip side, I, I think you could make some changes in benefits for people under the age of 40 and then let people contribute a portion of their payroll tax into a personal savings account that we tried to do 15 yeah, years ago. Yeah, I remember ago. it well. We still have the scars. And if you, we do, I do too. <laughs> yeah. I, I was head first without a helmet on yeah, that one. Right. It's like, yes. I mean, look, if you let somebody take a portion of their payroll tax and put it in, if, if it made 2%, Social Security gives you a 1% return, guys. I'm just doing yeah. the math here for the ruthless listeners. Is, you know, you literally could take, and this is my term now, but then you can steal it and claim it was your idea. <laughs> is, Perfect. We love that. Here. I say you take these New Deal programs and give people a better deal yeah. in the 21st century. And that's that's what we're out there talking about. So, so let me ask you this. If, yeah. you're, if you're sworn in as president of the United States in January of 2025, is spending the first thing you, you'd tackle? Or would it be the border or energy? Or what what's what's your list of priorities as president? Well, I think having been there, having been in the room yeah. uh, when we assembled a cabinet and put together a team, I think it's more of what what's the category of priorities, mm-hmm. right? And I think the category of priorities begins uh, with getting the economy moving again, mm-hmm. which will require us to be serious about controlling spending and bringing about reforms. It means uh, ending the crime wave in our major cities. It means securing uh, our border. And I think that's got to be job one. Um, There's nothing more important ever than providing uh, for the common defense. But I I think recognizing the the failure of the of the Biden administration at home and abroad begins with let's get let's get America moving again, get America growing and strong again. And then we're going to be better equipped to meet the challenges that we're facing around the world. Mm. It's a fascinating answer for for a lot of reasons, because you do have the on the job training. 
I mean, there's not a lot of people who have been in the room when all these decisions were being made in a previous administration. And you've seen, obviously, you would have done some things differently. I mean, you probably wouldn't be running for president if you, if you didn't want to do things differently. But now that you've seen all of it, if you, with the benefit of retrospect, I mean, do you think that there are things that you could have done better or more aggressively to secure the border that just weren't done in the previous administration? Well, I, I think so. Look, we, we finally found a way to repurpose federal dollars yeah. to build the wall. And we built a good portion of the wall. But I negotiated the Remain in Mexico deal. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge, huge deal. With Mexico. Huge it, deal. it reduced illegal immigration and asylum abuse by 90%. We could have done that sooner. Yeah. I mean, we were literally, uh, we had our... We had our Homeland Security people and our State Department people working with Mexico, and then we, we finally just sat them down and said, here's what it's going to take, guys. And uh, we, mm-hmm. either that or there's going to – you're going to start seeing some tariffs and you're going to start seeing some consequences. And uh, I I sat down with the Mexicans. We figured that out. Uh, and uh, But it was team ball. I give the president all the credit in the world. He made it clear that uh, we were not going to tolerate the situation anymore. It was like clearly a high priority. Anymore. It was. But, uh, look, I, I just think uh, – you know, I, I, I'm proud of that record. It's part of me that I'm not really a rearview mirror guy. Yeah. Um, I, I'm proud of what we did for the country. We were, America had seen 7 million jobs created, wages rising at their fastest pace in more than a decade, uh, secure border, conservatives on our courts. We'd rebuilt the military. The world was at peace mm-hmm. because we'd showed a demonstrated willingness to lean in uh, and uh, stand with our allies and stand up to our enemies. And, um, that's why when I see people, particularly on the foreign stage in our party, beginning to to recoil from right. support for the Ukrainian fight against the uh, Russian invasion, I, I, you know, to me, that's 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 more a reflection of a lack of confidence in the current commander in chief. Yeah. Well, it seems like that. I mean, look, no, I believe it is for, for, for those of us who've been in government for a long time. You can see the conservative party. uh much more aggressive in foreign policy when we have a leader of our own party. And you get this weird sort of libertarian piece of it that just sort of begins to have a greater share of voice than ultimately resides in the base of our party anytime there's somebody you don't trust. In this case, Joe Biden, clearly. I say that to well, say— Well, Biden has done a terrible job terrible. explaining right. why we are providing military support to Ukraine. Yeah. A period, paragraph. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, he gives these gauzy speeches about democracy in the world, and we—I mean, for heaven's sakes, it sounds like he's—you know—he's—he's he's doing one more. As if we're fixated on everybody. One more speech rights. against the MAGA people in America, or something like <laughs> that. I mean, it's—it's it's not. We are there, I believe, because if if Russia runs over Ukraine, it will not be long before they cross a border where our armed forces are going to have to go and fight. Yeah. And maybe I feel particularly visceral about this because my son's a captain in the Marine Corps. My son-in-law is a lieutenant in the Navy. I mean, this is not hypothetical for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if, if Putin takes over Ukraine, I think it would not be long before he reached into another country that this time was a NATO ally mm-hmm. and that we have to go and fight. So I'm, I'm a guy that believes in what was called the Reagan Doctrine back in the day, which is you're willing to fight our enemies on your soil with your troops. We'll give you what you need to fight them and defeat them there so we don't have to meet them somewhere else. That's our national interest. But have you ever heard Joe Biden explain that to no, anybody? No, not, I mean, not it's, it To me, and that's why the, following the disastrous and unconscionable withdrawal from Afghanistan, mm-hmm. 
why even some uh, uh, Republicans that, uh, that otherwise understand that we're the leader of the free world, we're the arsenal democracy, are, are having their doubts about what we're doing there. Yeah. Well, I get it. I, well, real quick, I want to ask, what was it like for you to watch that happen? In, in September of, of Joe Biden's first year, the way that he he shamefully pulled his country out of Afghanistan. I, I got to be I got to be honest with you and tell you, I, I traveled to either uh, either a theater of war for 10 years in a row when I was in the Congress. I traveled to Afghanistan when I was governor and I traveled to Afghanistan when I was vice president. And to, to see the way uh, President Biden um, botched this withdrawal on one decision after another it it uh it was heartbreaking and infuriating mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it was both emotions for me mm -hmm. i mean i was angered by it uh, but it when i thought of, of how it dishonored the sacrifices of of men and women who'd, who'd fought and sacrificed and many had died to defend our freedom in a country where the worst attack on american soil in history was launched from um uh, it, it it was unbelievable, and and I, uh, Umberto Lopez is a Marine from uh, Logansport, Indiana. Um, he was one of the thirteen we lost that day at the Oof. airport. Yeah, I mean, think about the series of bad decisions, guys. Think about it for a second. First, our our, our plan was that we said to the Taliban, uh, "You got to work with the Afghan government, okay? Uh, you aren't going to harm any Americans." And uh, you can't harbor terrorists. And we basically made it clear. I was in the room when Secretary Pompeo's on the phone with the Taliban guy, and President Trump said to him, look, you, you break this deal, we're going to hit you harder than we ever hit you before. Mm -hmm. And they knew it. Eighteen months, there was not one American casualty in Afghanistan. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. yeah. that was the deal. That was the deal. Right? Yeah, everybody brushes past that. We everybody had, had measured success in that time period. 18 months, yeah. not one American casualty. And the way the Biden administration tried to pass it off as, oh, no, this is the previous administration, as if the contract was that we're going to make a complete mess <laughs> biggest, and, and, and cause a loss of life. Biggest whitewash I ever saw is what came out of the Pentagon. Yeah, wasn't that unbelievable? A couple of weeks ago. Said, well, it was both administrations. No, it wasn't. <laughs> okay. In our game plan, like, here's another stupid decision. Okay. I'm just going to put a fine point on it because, you know, it's not like anybody else is listening. <laughs> but here's the thing. We said, okay, so you move out in the spring. Okay. I, people don't think this way. But the spring is before the fighting season. <laughs> right. So all of a sudden, Biden's team announces, you know what? We're going to pick September 11th to pull out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Totally political day. Meaning at the. And deeply offensive. Yeah, it is. Yeah, deeply offensive to the American public. So it's also at the end of the fighting season. It means all all of the warlords, everybody's got Taliban's got all their troops fully armed, locked and loaded. You move in the spring, the snow hasn't even thawed yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nobody's on the field, right? Mm -hmm. So they make that horrible decision. But this idea of abandoning the Bagram Air Base and then uh, and then and then going to the Kabul airport. But I started to tell you about Umberto. Mm. So. Uh, Umberto Sanchez was a United States Marine, Logansport, Indiana. Uh, when we lost him, when his, uh, when he came home, Karen and I, as Marine Corps parents, just we drove up to Logansport just to sit in the back of the church. And yeah. His mom heard we were coming. She asked if she could meet with us, and we spent some time with her. And um, she ended up asking us to be a small part of the service, which we were mm. profoundly honored to do. But here's a guy, Umberto. It's a great story. 
So Umberto, he doesn't get to get his diploma on graduation day from Logansport High School because he had a little bit of trouble. Okay. <laughs> We're familiar. Okay, right. Familiar. You all are. Okay. <laughs> this probably guy in particular. But, he yeah. didn't get to, you, none of you walk out to walk the stage. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so he doesn't get to walk the stage, a little bit of trouble. He has to go to summer school. He finishes up. Okay. Yeah. So, but he ends up working like a year or so, his mom tells me. And then she walked into her kitchen one day and he looked at his mom, age 19, said, Mom, I want to make you proud. I'm going to go be a Marine. Oh, man. And by all the account of the Marines that were there at that funeral, every single one of them told me that Umberto was a Marine's Marine. Yeah. Not only, you know, respected, but but loved yeah. by everybody in his unit and, and, and proven in the last moments of his life because he's, he's at one of the gates. Radio call comes out that tells all the Marines, pull back, go inside the wire because they saw somebody – now we have we heard about it recently that somebody was headed in that they thought could be a suicide bomber. Umberto's refused to leave the gate hmm. because he radioed back that most of the people in his line were women and children, Ugh. and he said, "I I I got to get them through." And his mom says to me, "His last act on earth was a work of heart." Yeah, mm. boy, I mean, that hits. I yeah. mean, so you want to ask me how I feel about what happened in Afghanistan? Yeah, I'm. I'm telling you what, and it's right under the surface. Nobody's talking about it, mm-hmm. but I think even even the as you said, the, the, the wavering support um, um, among even some strong American leadership Republicans. Yeah, um, I, I think is as much a reflection of of uh, that disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan and and a profound lack of confidence uh, in Joe Biden as our commander in chief. Yeah. No, I mean, look, no question about it. Thank you for doing that. And and listen, I, it, it shouldn't go unsaid. There are profoundly good humans who have done this job for the United States. You are amongst them, sir, who understand greatly what that sacrifice is. And you get the feeling both in both political parties now, you sort of blow through the role that our men and women in uniform are playing on a day-to-day basis. And they're yeah. sort of, it's become political. Yeah, we one don't. One way or another. Which is never, you obviously have a fam- deep family commitment. My to dad this. was a combat veteran. Right. Came back from Korea, threw the medals in the drawer, never talked about it, like most of the guys that have seen combat. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, so, I, th- this look, and, and I'll tell you what, you ever worry about the future of the country? Just go visit a military base. Yeah. You'll yeah. Be, you'll be, I mean, I mean, the men and women in our armed forces today are the, they are the new greatest generation. Yeah. And we, we owe them better than we're giving them. And I want to tell you, the other thing is, we do, we have a military today that can defend our nation. We do not have a military fitted to the widening challenges of the 21st century. Okay. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why we have to be willing to lead on on common sense entitlement reforms is we've got to have the resources to not rebuild our military, but to build a military uh, fitted to the second half of the 21st century. We've, we've got to have the kind of Navy that can defend our interests in the Asia-Pacific, yeah. uh, keep China in its lane, uh, and uh, and otherwise be prepared for the the, the widening challenges around the world. I, look, that withdrawal from Afghanistan emboldened the enemies of freedom. Clearly. Mm. And um, now wars raging in Eastern Europe. China continues its provocations. But uh, peace comes through strength. Are you troubled at all in that our 
our, our discourse. I mean, I, we just talked about how there used to be two parties that sort of believed two different things as it pertains to all of these sort of things. Mm -hmm. But look, you're on the campaign trail. You're meeting with people all day, every day who have very real concerns, the likes of which you just laid out, who are talking about kitchen table issues, who are talking about defense, right. their family member may or may not be in the military. Um, and then you get this primary debate that is just sort of like laughable on its face in terms of the niche sort of bizarre application to the everyday American life. And you have to somehow sort of engage in this, despite the fact that none of this is sort of your view, but you got to entertain the questions as you had to last weekend. Uh, like, is that just depressing? I mean, I, I don't know. How do you react to all of that? I love it. Do you? Yeah. Because it gives you a chance to, to fight back or what? No, what? I, I, I love it. Look, it's it, uh, this, this country belongs to the American people. I'd love to get out. People people said to me, well, but some people in the party don't agree with you on those things. I said, well, let's go. Yeah. Let's have the debate. That invigorates you. I'm, in, I'm not into, I'm, I'm into leadership, not followership. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? And there's too much followership that I see going on. And people are looking at... Uh, uh, I don't even have a pollster in my campaign. Do you know one? I don't. <laughs> Are there any pollsters in Washington? Are there any pollsters that were right in 2016? No, I don't even have a pollster. I, don't, I haven't done a single focus group. Short's inbox, care. by the way, is filling up uh, as we speak. Right. right now. <laughs> it's not that I, I don't. Look, those are useful processes. People yeah. get a sense of where the public are. But the point is, I'm, I'm not going to change. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm who I am. I'm a conservative. I'm not in a bad mood about it. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm going to talk about real things in this campaign. I'm going to I'm going to be honest with the American people about the challenges we're facing in the world, challenges we face at home. But I'm also going to tell them that we can, we can fix it. Yeah. I mean, I, I can honestly tell you, I know one of you guys at the table knows exactly what's going to happen in the next 18 months. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to need to talk to you after. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. But what compelled my wife and I to step forward was a deep conviction with all humility that after 12 years in the Congress and being a leader in Congress, after four years as governor of a successful state and as four years of vice president in a consequential administration, I would know what to do and who to do it with on day one to get the country turned around. Yeah. And it wouldn't take that long. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I remind people I'm going to do a bunch of town hall meetings this week in, in in uh, New Hampshire, and I got to take. I always remind people when you're choosing your standard bearer, remember you got to have somebody that has a shot at winning the Senate, right? Has and can widen that that majority in the House and can assemble a team, yeah, mm -hmm. and a cabinet, yes, uh, yes, that that uh, will have the ability to really move the country forward. Yeah. And, and I'm not I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm just saying I know I could. Yeah, I ran the transition in 2016. I assembled that cabinet. I love what Bill Bennett said to me one time, former education secretary yeah. mm -hmm. for Reagan. He walked up to me and he said, you know, some people tell me this is the most conservative cabinet since Ronald Reagan. And he said, I tell him I was on that cabinet. This is a way more conservative <laughs> than Reagan had. He said, Reagan was like the most conservative person on his cabinet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he had a great cabinet. And I, and, and I, I would tell you, that's, that's, what, that's what drives me, because I do think the country's in a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I, I, I couldn't sit this one out. Yeah. Knowing what I know, knowing that if you if – you, if you put those priorities in place, if you just went, okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, you built a team, execute, this country would come roaring back. And the world would get a lot quieter. Yeah. Quicker well, than you think. No question. Is it tough to distill down? Because, I mean, look, 
you talked about how you assembled this transition team and cabinet yeah, secretaries, and now you made you were in the room with every consequential decision, whether it's energy based or whether it's foreign Just policy about. or you know taxes or judges, right? Knowing all that, is it tough to distill down to a bumper sticker in a campaign what you do? I mean, I imagine running through your head right now is like 8 million things that you do in the first 10 days differently and more effectively based on what you learned. Is that tough to distill down to the context of a campaign no. when you're talking to an everyday voter? Are they no. all? No. No, it's not. Look, Joe Biden has weakened this country at home and abroad. We just simply need to offer a compelling vision based on the proven principles that have defined the Republican Party for the last 50 years. Mm -hmm. And I believe we will win in a landslide. Mm -hmm. I mean, right now, you know, it's a little bit of a little bit of feels like a little rope a dope in the polls that because people see a rematch coming on. And yeah. They're not real sure. And they're not. Good, good heavens. Turns out they're not totally stoked about that. I look. Uh, come on. <laughs> About four years of Joe, people say to me, they go, what about unity in the Republican Party? How are you going to bring the party together if you're the nominee? And I said, I got I got two things going for me if I'm the nominee. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they're going to be the, they're going to be the greatest unifying force in the history of the Republican Party because everybody's going to go, oh, good heavens, we can't have four more years of that. I mean, I thought they'd be bad. I didn't know they'd be this bad. I mean, you have to give her some credit. Yeah. No one knew the job was no, that no, difficult look. until <laughs> she showed up. <laughs> no, look, I look at her poll numbers and it makes me blush when I think of mine. I, uh, yeah, I, look, I just, look, it's a tough job. You know, I really, I really have a hard time being overly critical of her because I, I can't even imagine. Well, you did have nouns, did. adjectives, and verbs all in the right place. Arranged in normal sentences. Arranged in a yeah, sense. I did. But uh, look. <laughs> You know, look, I, I know where the buck stops in the building. Yeah. I do. Right. It's one of the things that, you know, one of the fun things about being on the campaign trail is that I think I'm well known. Yeah. But I'm not known well. Interesting. Hmm. So, like, people, other than that one time I was on Ruthless, nobody ever knew I, <laughs> nobody ever knew I had a sense of humor. <laughs> it's like people, people come up by guys after town halls and go, He's got like a sense of humor. Yeah, he's funny. <laughs> and they said, oh, no, he, he cuts up all the time. I mean, it's – but look, I had a very clear idea. You and I talked at the time. You understand. I never thought it was about me when I was vice yeah, president. no question. Never. Mm -hmm. Never did a profile interview for four years. Yeah. Got called to do them all the time. Hey, we'll do a nice spread in the magazine. Hey, we'll do something on TV. Talk about you, your wife, your dog, your kids. No. Right. wasn't about me. I'm somebody who believed that the vice president of the United States uh, is there to to be informed, to be prepared if history calls, mm -hmm. to be of service, and to take two steps back because there's only one president. And I, I had no other view. And so the fun, fun thing is people in Indiana know us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And some people in the conservative movement know us. But around the country, it's been really fun for me. I bet. People have gotten to know. I didn't know you had a personality. Well, you, you show know, up in a leather jacket in Iowa, and everybody's like, who the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, candidly, it was a vest. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was a Harley Davidson vest. Yeah. Uh, it was. Uh, that, you know, uh, that I got from the Freedom Riders. Yeah. It was great. And, the, yeah, it was so funny because one of my favorite, you know, you know, you occasionally, I know it's hard to believe, but sometimes the Internet doesn't get things right. <laughs> and uh, this one guy went off on this 
photo op of Pence sitting on a Harley Davidson trying to make people think he rides motorcycles, and he blasted it out because I was sitting there talking to the press sitting on a Harley. And about an hour later, people said, you know, I really don't, I don't like Pence at all, but he did ride. <laughs> 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 that you got to give it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, nothing else. But he was on the motorcycle for an hour and a half. On that genre, did you get a kick out of at oh, all the it. going around the internet of uh, some yeah. poor sap that was not Mike Pence getting pelted by a water balloon saying Mike Pence? I got felt pelted. bad for the guy. <laughs> <laughs> but let's be honest, that was a heck of a throw. It was. I literally <laughs> headed to the airport in Iowa Friday. <laughs> And uh, I thought we made a little news Friday yeah. afternoon. Yeah, uh, got a little attention. Yeah. And uh, but sure enough, I should <laughs> take a look at my phone and I, okay, water balloon. <laughs> well, she had a hose. Uh, she just crushed that yeah. guy in the back of the head. Yeah. Some poor accountant. Didn't, yeah, I don't uh, even I don't even know what happened there. But I mean, it's, it's you know, it's it's, it's just classic. And um, but uh, you know, it all it's all part and parcel of of what comes with the territory. But that's been the fun part is yeah. being out and about because I... Well, you live with this stuff. I mean, you love it. You I, love I, being I, out with people. Well, what I'd I don't like politics, but I, but I love the American people. Yeah. I mean, I always tell people that in all my years of service, my opinion of the federal government has gone down. <laughs> <laughs> but every single day, my opinion of the American people has gone up. Hmm. I mean, th this is... Don't get me started. I mean, you know, the thing when you're a vice president or a governor, you know, when the wind blows, the tornadoes hit, when when you're vice president and the hurricanes come and the floods come, you get there, right? And to see the generosity of the people, this you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you know when uh, when a hurricane blows through East Texas, uh, the next day in the neighborhoods that were impacted, the only thing you can't find is a parking space because mm -hmm. people come from everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And they load up their, their trunks and their minivans full of water and food and tools, and they show up and just help people rebuild their lives that they've never met before and never going to see again. Um, like I said, those soldiers that I've met all along the way. Mm -hmm. And, and um, it's, it's, it's a great country. I just like to say we just need government as good as our people. We do. Yeah. <laughs> There's no question about that. Let me ask you this, and this is, this is my— And part of that is tone. Can I say that to you? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's part of it. Yeah. No, I really— and what do you mean by that specifically? Well, look, maybe it's because I moved home to Indiana two years ago. I mean, yeah, it's just, just surrounded just by so some your nice listeners people. and viewers. <laughs> I'm just visiting Washington. <laughs> I don't live. We, we moved home. We got five acres and a pond, you know, riding mower, the whole thing. Ford Ranger pickup truck. And a um, couple stories in the house, which must, is, according to Smug, is amongst the biggest structures in, in Okay, yeah. okay, okay. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> I need this your help. Is, is, I need your help, Mr. <laughs> Vice President. What happened? Well, because my. Many people say that Indianapolis, the tallest structure is like no, two stories. No, it's, it's <laughs> absurd. Okay, so we've done a live show yeah. in, in Minnesota, where okay. he's from. Right. Right? We we're have an upcoming live show Tell in them. Iowa. We go, we go to the Midwest and we do these shows. I need your help to sell Indianapolis as a location for a live show for the Ruthless Podcast. Oh, my gosh. What do you like to eat? Where do you like to go? Okay. I try to tell them, and they laugh at me. Okay, Lucas Oil Stadium, yes. uh, the restaurant district, the <laughs> Salesforce Tower. Get over it. <laughs> Ske schedule it. Yes. Look, look. so the Super Bowl came to Indianapolis uh, in uh, when it, or, you know February of 2012. And and honestly, they might deny it because they have contracts. The NBC guys that were all there said, "Man, 
if we could do the Super Bowl in Indianapolis every year, we'd do it here. Is that right? It's incredible because it's a very walkable downtown. Walkable downtown. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. We're not going to yeah. do the Chamber of Commerce. I'm of just trying to here. tell you. Yes. There's, there's, do future farmers of America come to Indianapolis? It's great for conventions. Oh, it's very big. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It'd be, I, sorry, it'd be, I, I just look, have to get you're, we you're could in the accommodate, room. We could accommodate the tens of thousands that would come to watch Ruthless being broadcast live. Thank you. From Thank Lucas you. Oil Stadium. You heard, it, you heard it from the vice president. No, I was starting to say, look, I, I, I like to tell people, maybe it's because I moved home, but, you know, you get 15 miles out of Washington, D.C., the people in this country actually get along pretty well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, families with different views and politics actually get along pretty well figure it out yeah um but so i'm not convinced the american people are as divided as our politics yeah but a lot of it a lot of it just begins with the way you deal with it i'm, I'm somebody that believes you can disagree without being disagreeable through my years in the congress i took very strong stands i did when i was governor i did when i was vice president but you know this town i i, I was able to maintain uh, um a rapport with people on the other side yeah. of the ideological yeah. divide and it made it possible to actually do things when when it was possible to do them you know if if you are at loggerheads and and uh, and a lot of people like to blame my former running mate for that look it was here a long time before he got here yeah i mean the the way that the debate in washington dc is eroded and i i think people want to see us restore a threshold of civility in public life and and uh and that's one of my aspirations as well, because we got some really big challenges at home and abroad. Yeah, well, along those lines, this will be my last question, but along those lines, obviously your plan here is to be the nominee and be the next president of the United States. If the polls shut down tomorrow and it, it, Donald Trump's got a big lead, if he's renominated, A, do you think he can win? But B, to your point about restoring civility and all that and maybe what the american people are looking for all along is that consistent with the party competing nationally is his candidacy or his nomination consistent with that well i'm glad the polls aren't closing tomorrow <laughs> that's, right. that's all i could do I mean, the guy's good i tried yeah. <laughs> I tried my best look I, I i wouldn't be running if i thought, didn't think that we needed better choices yeah yeah. than my former running mate. I, I've said many times, though, look, I, I, I don't think anybody could have defeated Hillary Clinton in 2016 other than Donald Trump. Mm. Uh, and I, I didn't know that to begin with. I endorsed Ted Cruz in the primary in Indiana. And in all fairness, he won all three counties I campaigned with him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Donald Trump won the other 89. <laughs> it wasn't until he showed up but, at that Carly Fiorina that but he I ran got, into I, problems. <laughs> I, I'm just telling you. <laughs> I'm just telling I think it's a different time out there. And I honestly think some of the president's durable support right now is, is more a reflection of how alarmed people are yeah. at the catastrophic failure of the Biden administration. I, I really do. I think, you, you know, you get a phone call in the kitchen that says, who are you voting for for president? You know it's not Biden. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the everyday American, they go, okay, um, well, the Trump-Pence years were better. Yeah, mm -hmm. let's go there. But I think once those debates start next month and people start to see that there are other men and women on the stage. Who and you're going to be on this stage. Who are ready to lead. Well, we're working every day. I, I would tell folks on, on Ruthless, we'd love to have you kick in. How do they do it? Where if do you give go? a dollar, go to MikePence2024.com. 
donate one dollar and you'll do your part to help make sure that we're on the stage we're uh, we've had thousands and thousands of people step up uh and uh, it's been very humbling but uh, we're not there yet but i'm confident we'll be on that debate stage well listen former vice president you will not find a more decent person in anywhere in politics regardless of your ideology thank you for joining us really appreciate your time Hey, great to be on Ruthless, guys. I look forward to coming back to the garage soon. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is fueled by the American Petroleum Institute. No matter your politics, no matter the debate, one thing is certain. America runs on affordable, reliable energy. America's policies must recognize that Americans benefit from making, moving, and improving the energy right here in America. Today, America's oil and natural gas industry supports nearly 11 million jobs provides American energy to keep this nation strong. Learn how at API.org. You know, it's always refreshing to have another Midwesterner on the program. Yeah, well, he is. And you even challenged him on, on his city, Smug. Yeah, I mean, he, he spoke very well of Indianapolis. I now know from Duncan. It's got a very walkable you know, downtown area, which is great. Um, again, <laughs> Don't patronize me. I, I, I said at the opening, but I think it, it's incredible the story he told about one of our Marines who lost their life due to the Biden administration's inept pullout from Afghanistan. I think that's an issue that has fallen to the wayside. It's not brought up when it was this administration for political reasons, rushing this withdrawal. Lives were lost. You know, they they said that they killed the terrorists responsible and it was a van full of kids that they blew up. There's been no response for the mm-hmm. terrorists yeah. who did this to us. And for, there's been no culpability for the administration that did this either and, and you can and, tell the pain on his face and when he spoke to it it was you know yeah. it, was, it, was, it was phenomenal i think one of the things that we you know not to toot our own horn but i'm going to go ahead and give it a blow uh i think one of the things we do better here with these interviews with candidates is you get a better sense of who they are and why they're running right it's not about the gotcha question because everybody's got an answer to all these things and some are better than others and so you know we get to all the issues that matter but like the most important part is when you walk away from it you know who the person is and why you could or could not vote for them. Mm-hmm. And with Pence, what came through to me was, I mean, he was talking about he doesn't have a pollster. Uh, he didn't want to denigrate anything about the Trump administration um, that he served in. He's running because he really just thinks it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And this is a genuine guy. For whatever you think about Mike Pence, whether he's your cup of tea or not, he is 100% sincere. I talked to a friend the other day. It was like, he's the one guy in the entire field you'd leave with your kids, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I, I, think that's, I think that's right. His whole point in doing this is because he thinks he can help his country and he's in the right position to do so. Now we'll see whether or not he gets the amount of donations to get to a debate stage, whether he can garner support and get a big enough platform where people can see him as something other than Donald Trump's vice president who Donald Trump doesn't like anymore, which is sort of the prism that he's viewed through mm-hmm. for the moment. But you can't doubt the guy's sincerity. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think came through here more than anything else. I think it's what's come through in all of our interviews. You know, when we talked to Chris, you knew what he was going to do three months before he did it. Mm-hmm. Like he told us exactly what, what kind of campaign he was going to run. Nikki Haley, I think very, very similarly in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I, I, I love the interview. We're going to keep doing them. We've got more this week. As I said, we're going to have uh, a bunch of really exciting things, including Iowa on tap here in the near future. So exciting times for a little program, the good. Yeah, a lot to look forward to. You bet. I think we did it. Absolute banger 
of an episode, if I may say so myself. Thanks again to Vice President Mike Pence. Thank you to the listeners. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.